Welcome to another episode of the V Auto Podcast Retail Revival Series. I'm Randy Kobat with Cox Automotive, and I'll be your host for today's podcast. Today's episode features Jeff Vanderwall, founder and president of ClearShift, an independent dealership in Littleton, Colorado. We asked Jeff to join the podcast because, unlike many dealers, he's long used digital retailing as a primary way to do business with his consumers a strategy that has paid off in terms of sales volume for ClearShift since the COVID-19 pandemic started in mid-March. We've doubled our business, which is great and it's exciting. And I think more than anything, it just validated not only what we've done, it's not like this is all about ClearShift, but I think it's validating where people are as a society that are like, if I don't have to go in there, that'd be awesome. As you'll hear in my conversation with Jeff, He's got a very clear vision for how to do business with today's consumers. His team typically doesn't come from the car business, and he recognizes that one of the first elements of any vehicle sale is establishing a connection with a consumer, something he has moved out of his sales process to what he calls a customer experience center. We have a customer experience center that does nothing but works with customers to make sure that we're, it's not that we're trying to sell them cars necessarily, we're trying to connect with them. Did your needs get met? Do you, do you have any more questions that we're not answering? What are we missing here? And sometimes people say it's just not the right car. It's too big, it's too small, it's too orange, it's too whatever. Okay. Jeff also shares some pointers for dealers who may be less far along in their adoption of digital retailing and selling cars in the ways that make today's consumers most comfortable. Jeff also believes the future of the car business will be very bright for dealers who are looking for ways to re-engineer the way they do business rather than simply trying to revert back to normal as quickly as possible. There's a lot of people trying to revert back to the old way and I think that's fine. I think that's going to happen in the vast majority of, of stores, but I do believe there's an amazing opportunity if you have the courage to look forward and really push forward in this space, I think you'll be rewarded literally a hundredfold for your effort. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Let's get to my conversation with Jeff. Jeff Vanderwall, welcome to our podcast. Randy, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So I think maybe a good place to start is by offering our listeners a sense of you know who you are and how you built your business, ClearShift Cars. Yeah, you bet. So it's funny, I've always loved cars. I mean, even as a kid going to, you know, family vacations, I'd sit in the back of a minivan reading Auto Trader magazine back when it was actually a magazine. I'd, I was like eight years old and I'd sit there reading these ads for hours on end. I just, even at a young age, you know, mid teenage years, Randy, I didn't want to work at a dealership type setting where, you know, just the typical out at the point, you know, quote unquote, cutting my teeth, trying to, you know, sell cars. I just, I never had a desire to do that, but I, I wanted to be in the business. And so it's kind of strange, but it's almost was like I was destined to do something slightly different. As weird as that sounds, my, my brain never really worked like a typical dealer because I never worked in a dealership. So what I ended up doing is started by getting a, a dealer license, but then operating and really, really learning how everything works from leasing to used cars, wholesale auctions. And I just started doing that at a young age, you know, like 19, 20. And I was good at buying cars. So Started buying cars for a couple of dealerships, spending their money because I was a broke, you know, twenty-year-old kid. I'm uneducated, you know, from that sense. I graduated high school and then went to college. I just jumped into the car business. Is what I wanted to do. So 
it always started off a little bit different, but what ended up happening was I really learned that people in general were disarmed with me giving me information, but didn't want to go into the dealer. So technically, I maybe brokered cars, started a leasing company as time went on, had a high level of success there. So everything that we've done, even 18 years ago, started with the consumer first. That's how it ended up just growing into what it was because we always just had the customer focus in mind up front. And I know it sounds cliche, but ultimately that's how ClearShip was built. Got it. That's in parallel with many dealerships and even more so during the last 60 days or so as we've gone through this pandemic and really meeting customers where they are. So what would you describe as maybe some of the differences or similarities between your business and what we might consider to be a more traditional or typical dealer? Yeah, I mean, I think the purchasing process of an individual emotionally is going to be the same, right? They get excited, they go through the process of buying a car, right? So conceptually, they still have to do the same thing. We just try to look at it from a different perspective, right? So how do we kick down as many cones as possible of friction? And there's a million studies out there of what people enjoy. Do they enjoy test driving? Of course, but it's the process in between that is really the beginning of the friction between the dealer for the most part and the consumer. I'm not saying anything that anybody listening to this podcast doesn't know. That's true. What makes us different and what makes us similar? What makes us similar is... You know, we still have the same documentation, the same everything that everybody else does. And somebody still has to say, yes, that's the car I want and drive home in it or have it delivered. So we face the same challenges as everybody else as far as, hey, who's going to buy our cars and why? But that's kind of where it ends is because we look at it from a standpoint of what can we do on our end to kick down as many cones as possible, or in other words, make it as easy as possible, or better yet even, how can we serve people better to treat other people like we want to be treated? I think what's been the funnest part for me as we've grown, Randy, is under-promising and over-delivering. And people literally look at us like we have three eyeballs. They're like, this is crazy. This has never happened before. Like, where's the other shoe and when is it going to drop? And I think for us, we're literally passionate about operating in that realm. And the reason is, is because we've bought into that culture so much that we're willing to say, I'm not going to be looking at the profit. I'm going to be looking at the process of you know, giving and receiving instead of buying and selling. How can we give somebody a superior experience with a spirit of excellence and receive their money. And we just believe that profitability will follow the spirit of excellence. And so that's a rare thing, I think, in the car business. And it's hard to do unless the leadership on top is fully committed to it. And I think that's where, although we're still selling cars, it starts to change at that point how we operate as opposed to a, a typical dealership. The words that you're using, you know, I, I hear from a lot of different dealers, and you talked about kicking down cones. Is there an example of how you've maybe made it a little bit with less friction than perhaps a typical dealer? We believe that having you be pre-qualified before you come in is the best option. Certainly don't have to if you're not comfortable sharing your information. And a lot of people's response would be, well, I haven't even seen the car yet. How in the world do I know I want to buy it? You know, we can work from our bucket, basically explaining to people, well, this is how we operate. This is how we do things. And so that will streamline their time process. But an area of friction, for example, well, I live in Idaho. How am I going to buy this car without seeing it? And we go through our process of, well, we do the following things to make sure that we'll ensure that your experience is awesome and that the car is great and that you're going to be excited about what you're buying. Because most stores look at their used car inventory as 
how much can we get away with and still get maximum profit instead of looking at it like, can we sign our name to this car without having to put a 10 day buyback guarantee or some hokey dokey 30 day warranty that doesn't really cover anything? You know, all the typical dealer stuff. If you really are trying to have a car show up in Idaho that is exceeding the customer's expectations, you're never going to have a problem with those people being disappointed. Does that make sense? I mean, the area of friction is I'm not sure I can trust you. And we say, yeah, I understand you probably shouldn't, right? Given the, the fact that we're a car dealer, I understand what you're saying. It's my job now to explain why we're different and how we can serve you. And, and I'm happy to jump into that. I think you say a lot of dealers, Randy, are saying these types of things, but the heart of it, here's the heart of it, okay? A lot of dealers take what we do and they go, oh man, that's a great tool for my tool belt. And I will totally use that. And I'm like, no, what I'm saying is you need to take your tool belt off and throw it in the trash can and then have a different tool belt. Like you have to have a heart transplant. You have to understand that at some point you have to be for the people that are trying to purchase vehicles from you instead of, you know, trying to use a catchy new at like, Hey, let's do a thing for the Denver Dumb Friends League, or let's do something for, you know, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which all really good things. But as soon as that turns into a thing to sell cars from a hundred miles away, they can smell it, that you're trying to use something to get them to buy a car. And a lot of dealers are selling cars despite themselves. They just have the right inventory at the right time and the right color and people buy the car, but it's almost like they're tolerating the experience as opposed to being served in a way in which they go, man, that was, that was amazing. And, and not only is this car awesome, but we also had an, an amazing experience where we got a great rate. We got a quality car. We got good value for our trade. And I think when you get to the heart of it, people aren't against you making a profit. They're against being taken advantage of. And that is a narrative that I hope to change in the car business. And certainly is what we want to be able to do is help I love the car business in the sense that I love the opportunity that we have to interact with people. But I think a lot of dealers are expressing their frustration in a broken system. It sounds like it's from the top down, the values and strategy flow through the entire part of the buying process in doing business with you. And that's where you begin to separate from maybe the traditional buying process that a consumer might experience. Absolutely. That's well said. It does separate. But I think the challenge that I've heard from a lot of dealers as I've gone throughout the country and I've gone to different conferences and spoken to different people and sometimes spoke to groups of people about it. I've been so pleasantly surprised at how many really quality people that I've met in the car business. Like they, they, There's some really, really genuine people that genuinely care. And that's been a really pleasant surprise for me over the last few years. I think the leadership tends to be the problem. You know, in a lot of cases, especially at you know, OEM stores, you're looking at franchise dealerships. The dealers hate the manufacturers and the manufacturers hate the dealers and the principals hate the managers. The managers hate the owners and the sales guys hate the managers and the customers hate the sales guys. And it's like, you know, service guys hate the sales guys. And it's, it's, just, it's just negative, you know, everything's very, very, very negative. And so in order to change the culture and speak the same language, at our organization, we don't really talk about culture so much as just everyone speaking the same language. We talk about high quality vehicles, amazing values, and no games. I mean, that is what we do day in and day out. When everyone's speaking the same language from the top down, infiltrates and changes the trajectory of an organization. It's really difficult to have little pockets of 
you know, you got a, a manager that's trying to do something, but then he's getting kind of undercut from a leadership standpoint. So I think it's at the top highest level, it really has to change. And I do think that can happen. And I think that's why there's been such a cry for it over the last probably decade, as we've seen the business slowly changing. I think coronavirus has just kind of thrown a catalyst into the mix to speed up the process. And I understand since the pandemic started, you've been selling a lot of vehicles. So tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of then and now with volume and why you're able to keep selling before a lot of dealers really got off the sidelines through the pandemic. From day one, we've done it the same way. And so for us, online sales or, you know, digital retailing has been part of our repertoire as we've moved forward. It's been something that we've done. So I think number one, we didn't have to have those discussions on how do we fix this? It was just kind of like, okay. And so we had made a lot of strategic alliances prior to that, that allowed us to do digital signatures and things like that. So we just had some nuts and bolts stuff. And honestly, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and take credit for that necessarily. I think it was a diligence thing that ended up just working in our favor. So that was just really great for our store to be ahead of the curve on that. But what ended up happening is it really validated our business model, which was it's going to exceed your expectation and we're actually going to do what we say we're going to do. And so that helped people, I think, feel a lot more comfortable. And you know what, Randy, we did not have a single person over the last 60 days want to return a car, not one. And as far as our volume, I mean, it's doubled roughly in the last 60 days. So we, we've doubled our business, which is great. And it's exciting. And I think more than anything, it just validated not only what we've done, it's not like this is all about um, clear shift, but I think it's validating where people are as a society that are like, if I don't have to go in there, that'd be awesome, right? Because I don't like going in there anyway. So it didn't take a pandemic for us to realize that and how to treat our customers. Like we've already treated them like that. And I think what you're seeing in the dealer realm is people going, okay, we really need to shift the way we treat customers. Well, yeah, you do. But I would argue that you probably should have been working on some of that stuff prior to having a pandemic health issue to understand that we have people that are crying out to not have a crap experience. When I think most dealers don't want it to be a bad experience, they just don't understand how to deliver it without it taking four or five hours and, and their hands are somewhat tied in that. I think that's validated what we've done. And, and I've certainly been thankful, but I'll tell you, digital retailing and just cutting out the games, I understand a lot of dealers are saying, well, listen, we make the majority of our profit in the back end. I understand that. And you can still execute and do that and just treat people fairly up front and just say, listen, this is, I mean, if you're making rate, that's fine. If you're selling a warranty, that's fine. I mean, that's all that's fine. And I think it comes back down to understanding that, you know, it's not just wearing people down to the point they finally just say yes after four and a half hours. It's a point of just serving them and saying, this is where we're going to be. Does that work for you? And you still work a deal and then you make your deal happen and it has to be a digital interaction, but you have to put a human handshake to it. There's got to be some humanality to it, to where people feel comfortable and then you got to make sure that when you deliver the car, that it exceeds their expectations. And you can put those things together. You can be highly successful in digital retail and also just streamlining your business because it is time consuming, not just for the consumer, but for us too, as dealers. So it's a win-win in my opinion, if you can really get your head around what that process looks like. It would be interesting for our listeners to hear how consumers find you. Like what's your process for advertising vehicles and what's the first interaction with ClearShift look like? 
Yeah. So typically, I mean, we're on the same places that everybody else is. We advertise through car gurus and auto trader and all these different places. That's true. And so we do price our cars very well. So we hustle in the market. We are extremely diligent about where our pricing lands in the market. We recognize as a digital retailer, an online car seller, that we have algorithms and things that we use internally to make sure that our cars are priced at the tip of the spear as far as the pricing of a car. We want to outpace everybody on price. And then that starts when you're buying them, right? It's not just about selling them cheap. It's about buying them and selling them properly, right? And so all of that is part of it. We also, from a social media standpoint, I mean, we are extremely invested in Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. We do a lot of things there to stay top of mind with folks. And honestly, what we probably exceed with everybody else is we have a customer experience center that does nothing but works with customers to make sure that we're, it's not that we're trying to sell them cars necessarily. We're trying to connect with them. Did your needs get met? Do you have any more questions that we're not answering? What are we missing here? And sometimes people say, it's just not the right car. It's too big. It's too small. It's too orange. It's too whatever. Okay. No problem. But we take that kind of out of our purchasing guides hands, like from a sales standpoint, we don't, we kind of take control of that. And cause I want, ClearShift to be able to connect with people. So I think the one thing we do probably better than anybody that I've seen is we have individuals that just work on connecting with other people and then try to serve them in the sense that if they've got a problem that we're not addressing, we want to address it to see if we can do business with them. I know from conversations with other dealers that getting lenders to work with you as you move to more digital contracting can be difficult. How did you manage through that process? Yeah, that's a great question. The number one thing is relationships. If you have a good track record with some lenders, like they buy a lot of your paper, you don't do a, a whole lot. Of, like if you do a lot of good quality business with them, getting them to understand that they're missing out on business because they're not willing to move forward online digitally. We had to kind of work through that with them. It's been a tough 60 days for a lot of lenders, right? And we know that. And so they're having the same conversations that we're having. So if you bring up e-contracting, it's probably not the first time. So number one, connecting with the right people at that organization, it's probably not going to be your rep. It's going to be somebody probably over their head, but somebody that you can present a case to them of the book of business that you've done with them and to say, hey, listen, just pilot a program with us. And let's see what it looks like. That's a big part of it. The biggest thing with banks is they don't like risk. So, and I know everyone's nodding their head with that, but specifically the reason why they pucker, we talk about online contracting is they want to make sure that they're not exposed. And so you have to have a relationship with them in order to convince them that you're not going to manipulate it. Because the reality is we can manipulate on our side and we can deliver a whole lot of cars and cash a whole lot of contracts before they ever see a title. And that's risky to them. So if you have a great relationship, then you need to start there and start small. And the second thing is you need to get with your local department of revenue to make sure that your particular state is accepting e-contracting. Colorado, I can speak specifically, we sell probably half our cars inside of Colorado, the other half outside of Colorado. And there's a lot more leniency in other states than Colorado. So that took some work to get that handled. We did get it handled, but I think that's one thing that you need to talk to local. And the other thing is once you get a DMV to say yes, then I'd propose that to your lender. Say, hey, we've already gotten this pushed through with the state. You know, They're on board. It's pretty much just you guys that are slowing up the train. <laughs> and usually that'll get their attention. And then the last thing is you need to execute on it. So you need to actually have, even if the customer's at your office, you might want to consider doing some e-contracting with an iPad 
And that way you can send it over digitally to them and then maybe back that up with a hard set of paperwork. That way, if you have any issues, you can cash your contract, but moreover, you can start sending them some digital business in state as opposed to doing digital business out of state. And typically that helps a bunch. So that's some nuts and bolts stuff, but that was a big, big help for us to kind of work a car deal. <laughs> Working a deal with lenders is like a car deal. You gotta, you gotta, everything in life is a car deal, right? So you have to sit down and find the pain. You gotta explain to them how you can bring value to it and then execute on it. So I think if you look at it like that, I think you can have a lot of success with your lenders that you use a lot. Like you said, it's a car deal. Really, our industry goes a long way with good relationships and good trust that's built between partners. And that's kind of at the heart of what we do. And that's great advice. That's a good place to start. You know, it sounds like the unique business that you have really focused on online transactions, 50% of your business out of the state in which you operate. I'm curious about the people who are part of your organization. So what's your process for hiring them? How do you ensure that they're going to fit into the customer-focused culture that you've described? This is a difficult task, and it's it's one that we've struggled with over the years in a sense that we have gotten to the point with an, as an organization that we just, if you have prior car experience, we just won't hire you. And that floors a lot of people that are talented in the car business that are like, whoa. That, that doesn't make any sense. But what we've realized is you have to like unscramble the egg kind of how guys think and then try to retrain them. And what ends up happening is when you're under pressure, you go back into the bag that you know. Like in, in other words, you work from your backlog of training, especially when you're you know face-to-face with a customer. It just is a different language than what we speak. And so the hard part about that is, is that people usually don't wake up and say, I can't wait to be in car sales. I, don't, I want to be a car salesman. Like it doesn't happen. I've got a friend of mine who owns a Subaru store that I think he's got a degree in marine biology or something, ends up owning a Subaru store. It just happens. Right. But, and we all kind of have a story of how we ended up in the car business. But the point is Randy, that we hire people that are non-car people that maybe come from, you know, making cold calls. They do know how to speak with other people, but they're willing to learn and they're willing to get out of their current situation into a better situation. That's number one. And number two, from an attribute standpoint, we just look for people that have a quality heart and they want to serve other people. Like their, their personality traits are being excited about helping somebody get somewhere, helping somebody do something. And so we look for people that are service minded and how they operate. And then certainly that's in our customer experience center and our purchasing guides. And both of them really at the end of the day are just helping people get where they already want to go. And then obviously we have admin people and the normal personality traits that follow those types of individuals. But what I I do want to say on that is (laughs) the days of selling cars, like selling cars is way past us. I mean, a person can find out more about a make or model of a vehicle online and, and they can get just a tremendous amount of data. So you don't need people who are selling. You need people that want to help them obtain what they already know they want. So people that know they want a five and a half foot bed, 502A package F-150 with that's black on black and a panoramic sunroof, they already know what they want. So you have to embrace the fact that they've already called you based upon what they already know you have. And it's your job to execute and explain to them why you're the best option for them to buy it. And so we need people that can translate that language and not try to get them in the door because we sold that same F-150 three days ago. 
but my boss just told me to get them on down here and they show up and now we're just trying to find a truck that'll fit for those days are long gone. And so in my opinion, and so you need people that are willing to say that the vehicle sold and I can certainly keep my eyes out for one and recognize we're probably not going to work with that person. So it's a, just a different narrative. Does that, does that make sense? It sure does. And it really kind of echoes a conversation that I had in an earlier podcast with a guy by the name of Brent Adamson, who is with an organization called Gartner and does a lot of research on selling and how people sell and best practices in selling. And they've really done a lot of research more recently on how people buy. And it seems like the best sellers today are what you described. They kind of work with the customer to help them make sense of all of this information that they've been, you know, inundated with to help them make a good choice. And it kind of sounds like that's where you guys are headed and have already maybe arrived. Absolutely. I mean, well, the questions that we typically get on a vehicle are, hey, does this have, like, I just want to verify that this has 18-inch wheels or 20-inch wheels. Hey, does this have the six-speed transmission or the 10-speed? They've already researched the particular car that they want. They just don't know some of the ins and outs of the different packages and options. I can't remember the last time, Randy, we had a customer inquire and say, hey, I'm just looking for like a sedan under 10 grand. I mean, I just, I literally, I can't, I, I can't remember the last time that we've had that type of a conversation. So some of it's demographic and some of it is the type of inventory you have. And I totally recognize that, you know, part of people's business model, it, it, some of them have different types of vehicles, different types of inventories, different demographics. I get all that. And some of the stuff that we do, we, you, you really can't, you can't operate it in some of those stores. I totally understand that, but you know, there's some people that, that aren't necessarily online driven. And so some of these principles aren't going to translate over, but I do think the vast majority of people know what they want before they even inquire. Honestly, I think the data behind the research done before somebody actually inquires on a car is, is ridiculous. I mean, I know there's companies out there now that are tracking that and it's, it's unreal how much research people are doing before they end up even inquiring and, and connecting with you to see if they want to buy a car. Some of the research that we've done at Cox Automotive backs that up, specifically around helping the consumer, the car buyer, really understand whether or not those options that you talked about are important or worth paying more for. And it sounds like those are the exact kind of inquiries that you're getting is, you know, 20 inch wheels, 18 inch wheels, why the difference is it worth more, et cetera. So that's really interesting and aligns with our thinking. Yeah. I think they know what they want. They just want to verify that you have exactly what they want before they pull the trigger. And I think the biggest hurdle that our guys face, our people face is buying a car sight unseen. And I think you have two schools of thought, Randy, behind that. One is the Carvana model which is, hey, if you don't like it, we'll just send you a different car or buy, you know, I think it's a seven-day return policy. There's certain things that they do to get people to say, hey, you know what, it's worth the risk. Like, I, I, hey, I got to buy back or whatever. For our company and our organization, that doesn't make sense for us financially. And I think the vast majority of dealers listening to this are going to go, we're not shipping a car 300, 400 miles away. And then they realized it wasn't dark blue, it was midnight blue or whatever, and they want to send it back. It just doesn't make sense. And so what we typically do is we just make sure we spend that extra money and time and effort in recon to make sure that when cars show up, that there are no excuses. There's no hidden dents. There's no smells. There's no anything. You just have to do the front end. And, it, and if you miss something, you got to write a check. 
I mean, you got to send a check. You got to you got to square up with the people and make it right. I mean, I think that's the biggest challenges that online dealers or people that are trying to transition to more of a omni-channel or you know multi-channel approach is the old stuff's not is not going to work. You're going to have to be able to stand behind the cars. One final question, Jeff, as you kind of think back on the last sixty days and how our industry has responded. What do you think are some key takeaways that are kind of new truths, if you will, to the car business that will ring true as we go into the new normal? You know, speaking candidly, I think that there's so much real estate, hypothetically speaking, in the digital retailing world that it's like the 1800s Lewis and Clark style. Like you can gain as much influence as you want right now. I mean, it's all you can eat as far as how much is out there. And it's going to take for people to either win those customers back or to try to convince them that the old way is is the right way to buy a car. I think there's just a tremendous amount of opportunity right now to grow your business in the digital space, number one. And it's, and when we say digital, the omni-channel approach, the digital transaction with a human handshake, in other words, is what I mean. That would be my first takeaway is like, this just validated that argument or that point. I think the second thing that's been disappointing is, I said the other day, I, I can't tell you how many people I've heard in the last three weeks say, man, I just can't wait for things to get back to normal. And that's disappointing to me because this is such a great opportunity for people to to recognize that there's opportunity and not just try to force this back to the way it was. And and that whole conversation sparked from a gentleman that said, man, we're going to have an online tent sale. And I'm like, people don't want an online tent sale. <laughs> that's, that's not forward thinking. That's stupid, actually. That's not what people are looking to do is have an online tent sale. And I think, you know, the one opportunity that places have right now, dealerships specifically have, is to serve people better in the online space because that is a better a better transaction for them. And one of our senior leaders said the other day, he said, you know, I truly believe that once people experience this, they're really not going to accept anything but that moving forward. Like once they've experienced a really good purchase, they're not going to go back to being underserved. And so I think this is an amazing opportunity as a community to really push forward what everybody in the car business knows is a very antiquated process and a very antiquated system and move it towards, you know, where we should be in 2020. So those are probably my biggest takeaways is there's a lot of people trying to revert back to the old way. And I think that's fine. I think that's going to happen in the vast majority of of stores, but I do believe there's an amazing opportunity if you have the courage to look forward and really push forward in this space. I think you'll be rewarded literally a hundredfold for your effort. I think it is a very interesting time and we're kind of going through the same learning curve and experiences that other industries that are more advanced when it comes to e-commerce have already gone through. You know, from the early days of the internet with a website when it was basically just brochureware to trying to move things that work offline like a tent sale online and finding that they don't work that's you know the lewis and clark experience that we're having where you know every day it's an adventure and an expedition to learn the new way to do things yeah i couldn't agree more with you through adversity becomes opportunity right i mean i've seen some things like you i'm sure have and have had some conversations that have actually been amazing over the last you know couple of weeks The innovation, I was on a a conference call with a bunch of dealer principals a few weeks ago, and I couldn't believe the amount of tenacity and spit and grit that these guys had, guys and gals had, that they were like, they'd been kicked hard and they were not going down. I was proud of them. I, I was really amazing to see these people really rise up and say, we're not going down like this. And so 
I hope that same spirit continues, that same tenacity continues to, you know, continue to try to push through this adversity and come up with new ways to do business. And I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity there and I think it can be done. Yeah, I've had the opportunity to hear that spirit in talking to people like you on this podcast and share it in other areas when I've had a chance to. And it is, it's, I'm really proud of how our industry and the dealer community has responded to this. And to your point, right, they're not going down. They're entrepreneurs and they're making it work. And in some cases, they're selling more cars this month than they did last year in May. So I think there's an opportunity for everybody to really come back strong. Yeah, I agree. Well, Jeff Vanderwall, definitely I hear the heart of a servant leader shining through as we have this conversation. And I just want to thank you for joining us today on this Viato podcast. Randy, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You have a great day. You too. Thanks. And my thanks to all of you for listening to today's Dealer Voices conversation. Please share this podcast with any of your friends that you think could benefit from hearing these insights. Stay tuned for our next podcast episode. And thank you for joining us today. We'll see you very soon.